Our second reading this morning comes from the prophet Joel, one of the 12 minor prophets of the Hebrew Bible. Listen to these words. Do not fear, O soil. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Do not fear, you animals of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green, the tree bears its fruit, the fig tree and vine give their full yield. O children of Zion, be glad and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the later rain, as before. The threshing floor shall be full of grain, the vat shall overflow with wine and oil. I will repay you for the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent against you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I, the Lord, am your God, and there is no other, and my people shall never again be put to shame. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, I'm wondering if any of you guys have seen the movie Inside Out. Uh, It came out from Pixar earlier this year, and it was out on DVD a couple weeks ago, which is the sign that I've finally gotten around to see it, uh, because, yay, it was on DVD. Now, if you haven't seen the movie, the general premise of Inside Out is about an 11-year-old girl named Riley. And Riley and her family have just picked up and moved away from their idyllic life in Minnesota to San Francisco for her dad's job. And Riley is unhappy. She doesn't like her new house. She doesn't have any friends. She's left behind her hockey team, who she loved. And she's really angry with her parents for moving her so far away from this childhood that was so lovely. But the story of Inside Out, while it's told about Riley, is actually told from the perspective of inside Riley's head. You're kind of in Riley's brain for most of the movie, and in her brain there are these five little characters that represent five of Riley's major emotions. There's joy, sadness, disgust, fear, and anger. After we watched this movie for the first time, I asked Enoch uh, which of the characters was his favorite, and his, he said that um, anger was his favorite because anger is this like short, blocky little red man who literally lights his head on fire every time he gets too upset. All of these little characters are actually just spot on in their portrayal of the emotion. So disgust is green, and she looks kind of like a 13 or 14-year-old girl with these big, long eyelashes. And she's constantly speaking with that sort of vocal affect that we associate with teenage girls who just, like, can't even handle it right now. That sort of obnoxious thing that 13 and 14-year-old, mostly girls, but some boys definitely do. Fear is this sort of like angular, twitchy, thin guy who's always jumping around and looking over his shoulder and overreacting to every little sound in the scene. He's just, he's fear. He's fearful. All of these characters are sort of charming and cartoonish, but they're also really relatable. They actually look like the emotion that they're trying to portray. And this whole cartoon is really compelling, not just because it's cute or because the story is engaging, but because it's one of those stories that feels really true. 
As Riley grows up and goes through this movie, she starts to learn and understand the interconnectedness of her own feelings. And then in watching Riley, those of us in the audience, I think both adults and especially children, start to learn that it's okay for us not to feel joyful or happy all the time, but that there are going to be moments and memories in our life that are touched by sadness or by anger, by disgust or by fear. Those are a natural part of being humans. When Enoch asked me after we uh, finished watching the cartoon whether the movie was real or not, I sort of struggled to answer his question because, of course, there's no 11-year-old Riley in real life, and there's no five little characters up in your brains, but I was struggling because I was trying to explain allegory to a four-year-old. Like, the movie isn't real, but at the same time, yes, it's very much real. It touches so truthfully on how we feel and how our emotions dictate our actions. And I've been thinking about this movie a lot, partially because I enjoyed it, But also this week, I kept coming back to that little character of fear. And as human beings, we sort of know that we're evolutionarily, biologically programmed to fear and to react with fear in certain circumstances. So um, on Thursday afternoon, you know, Michelle and I are running around the church doing different things. And I was leaving the office door at the same time Michelle was coming in from copying some things. And we noticed each other just in time to avoid smacking right into each other in the door. But of course, we responded by startling and jumping back from each other. It was this fear reaction that was instinctual, that we were about to run into someone else. And so we jumped backward. We startled. Or maybe some of you yesterday uh, were out driving in the middle of a snowstorm. And I think that's an experience of fear in a different way as well. I sort of hope that if you were driving, You are giving plenty of space to the cars in front of you and going slow enough. And that's prudent on one hand, but I think that's also a decision that many of us make that's based on a fear of understanding what can happen if you lose control of your car on a slick or an icy road. Or, um, you know, sometimes as I sit down to write a sermon, one of the things that in the back of my mind is sitting there is, in fact, fear. I start writing my sermon and I worry about what I'm going to say. Is it going to be smart enough or funny enough? Is it going to be engaging? Are people going to fall asleep during my sermon? Am I going to come off looking naive? Or perhaps worst of all, am I going to give a terrible interpretation of scripture? That's actually probably my biggest fear. I don't ever want to dishonor the words of scripture. I want to do my job well. And I have this small inborn fear that I'm going to mess it up somehow along the way. And I don't think I'm unique in that. I'm guessing that's probably a fear many of us carry about the work that we do. So this week, fear kept coming to mind for me because I kept looking around, and I think we're experiencing fear on kind of a national and an international level right now. It seems to be a pretty predominant emotion that a lot of people are feeling. And specifically, I've seen it in our own country around the issue of Syrian or Iraqi refugees being brought to the U.S. Um, There was a call, I'm sure many of you saw it, by governors to limit the resettlement of Syrian and Iraqi refugees uh, to their own states. And then there was this big debate about could they do that or could they not do that. There was um, a bipartisan vote. Actually, it had wide support from both Democratic and Republican leaders in the House of Representatives on Thursday night to stop immigration, or not immigration, uh, to stop the welcoming of refugees from Syria and Iraq until 
this uh, process can be studied further to absolutely assure Americans that we are not accidentally bringing in an erstwhile terrorist along with people honestly fleeing war. And I think that some of this might be rooted in prudence, but I think this reaction might also be rooted in some fear. We have this fear going fear from the horrific attacks that we saw in Paris and in Beirut, the plane that was shot down over Egypt, and even though it was claimed by a completely different group and is sort of an unrelated event, I think the hostage situation in Mali on Friday plays into this fear as well. We get afraid, and our first reaction is to start circling the wagons together. And we're biologically programmed to feel that way. Our natural reaction is to sort of turn inward and protect ourselves. But I don't think fear is always a good barometer of reality. Fear is an emotion that often causes us to overreact to a circumstance, to react out of panic rather than out of sort of rational thought. And I think our scripture readings for today from the Gospel of Matthew and then from the prophet Joel, I think that these two readings are really concerned with the activity of tamping down the fear that we naturally feel by expressing gratitude, by expressing thanksgivings, which is a pretty appropriate message for the lectionary to have stuck on this week of all times when we are gathering in our homes and across the country to celebrate what we are thankful for. And so when it comes to fear, in these two passages of scripture, the Bible says it again and again, do not fear, do not worry, don't be anxious, don't waste your time worrying or being afraid about what you'll eat or what you'll wear, don't be afraid. Don't you see the birds of the air and the flowers of the field? God loves and cares for them. Won't God care even more for you, a person who's created in the very image of God? Don't worry, but rejoice, for God is bringing the abundant rains. I love that um, ending line from the book of Joel there. You shall eat plenty and you will be satisfied Praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. Do not be afraid. I am the Lord your God. There is no other. Now, one of the things um, I really appreciated about Inside Out is the character of Joy. Um, Joy, one of the things that she does best in the whole movie is gratitude, which makes sense. We often offer our thanksgivings and our gratitudes out of our own joy, out of our own happiness. So whenever this character, uh, Riley, starts feeling sad or angry, Joy's immediate response is always to try to go find a memory of something really good from Riley's life, be it winning a hockey trophy or that time she and her parents were goofing around in the living room. She tries to find a good, happy memory and plug that into Riley's brain. And when Riley remembers these good memories and is grateful for them, it does have an effect on her mood and behavior. It starts to improve when she is grateful for something good. And I think that's a really powerful message within that film that we can push back against fear with our own gratitude, with our own thanksgiving. I think that when we remember to be thankful for what we have already been given, what we already have in front of us, that's a way that pushes back on that fear of not having enough. 
And when we notice and give thanks for the family and friends who are actually gathered in our own community, that's a way that we can start to cast out that fear of loneliness or finding ourselves all on our own. For me, yesterday when I was driving in the snow, I had this moment where I sort of like gave thanks for having a really good defroster in my car, which seems really silly. But honestly, in that moment of giving thanks for that, it made me realize, oh, you know, I can actually see out the windshield right now. Visibility isn't as terrible as it otherwise might be. And it, for me, in that moment, sort of started to mitigate the fear and frustration I felt of driving in the middle of a snowstorm. Didn't get rid of it entirely, but it made me feel a little calmer and a little better in that moment. Or we could take the whole Thanksgiving holiday as an example of this. This week, we're going to sit down, and people across our country are going to sit down to celebrate and remember and give thanks for those people who welcomed us to this land when we were once religious refugees. When we landed on that stormy northeastern coast here in America, escaping religious and political persecution in Europe. And I wonder if that gratitude for where we come from might help us push back against and fight those fears that we sometimes feel about other people, to be a bit more welcoming of the refugees who are currently looking for asylum in our midst. And I think actually Michigan is a pretty wonderful example of this. This is something I've really appreciated since moving to this state. Michigan has a phenomenal history of being an incredibly welcoming place for people who are in need of a home. I know it hasn't always been an easy relationship, and there's certainly been bumps in the history, but I mean, think about the communities just around the city of Detroit. So you could think about the Eastern Europeans who moved to this area. They sort of settled in the Hamtramck area. There's tons of them, and they brought with them their delicious little ponchkis, which we all get to celebrate with. Just outside of Detroit, I recently learned there's a community with over 30,000 Chaldean Christians. I think that's the largest community of Chaldeans outside of the Middle East. Those are Christians who have fled both violence and religious persecution, and they found a home here in Michigan where they can freely practice their faith. One of the largest Middle Eastern communities anywhere in the world is actually here in the Dearborn area. That's a community that's made up of Muslims and Jews and Christians and people who claim no faith at all, all from various countries around the Middle East who have moved here seeking a better life for themselves and for their children and have found welcome and safety in the state of Michigan. Just this week, I was reading yesterday morning in the Detroit Free Press that a Syrian family who's been in the refugee process for a number of years was just resettled in Detroit this week. I would venture to guess that every single one of us, or at least almost all of us in this room right now, could remember a time when in our family history we were once a stranger in a strange land, where we were welcomed to this country, a country that's built on these foundations of liberty, justice for all people, the free exercise of religion, a safe harbor from war and from persecution. And so when we sit down on Thursday to offer our thanksgiving for those first natives who welcomed the pilgrims or whatever your particular family story might be, I wonder if when we give thanks for the welcome we have received, if that will encourage us to drown out the fear that we sometimes feel about other people coming to this country. 
Now, fear can be really specific and unique. There are things that you all fear that I have no idea about. They may not be a fear of mine. And there are fears of mine that are very unique to me. Others of our fears, of course, are far more universal. They're shared. They're part of the human experience, something that we live in day in and day out. But when I was reading the prophet Joel, I think he was really on to something here. Joel, as far as we can tell from his book, was writing to the people of Israel at a point in time where they had just experienced a significant famine. There were locusts. He refers to them as the cutters who had come through and destroyed the crop. The people were concerned about not having enough to eat, not having enough to drink, that the land itself was so dried out that vegetation would not grow. They were truly in fear because of that situation. And so I think he was on to something when he wrote to them, Do not fear, O soil. Do not fear, you animals of the field. O children of Zion, be glad and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early rain and the later rain as before. The threshing floor shall be full of grain, and the vats shall overflow with wine and with oil. In a sense, he's saying, don't fear. Remember what God has already provided, and in your gratitude, trust that God is going to provide again. In this week of Thanksgiving, I would ask that we use together in this community our own gratitude to fight back against a world that is so built on fears. Let's trust those promises of Jesus, like from the reading this morning when he says, Indeed, your heavenly Father knows what you need. First, strive for the kingdom of God and all righteousness. And then all of these things will be given to you. So for us in this week of Thanksgiving, I think the challenge for us is to be a people of gratitude, a people of that righteousness, that when we celebrate and give thanks for the coming kingdom of God here and now in our midst, that we are doing that good and hard necessary work of casting out the fear around us. So all grace and thanks and gratitude, glory and honor be to our God, the one who gives and the one who casts out fear. Amen.